following is a live copyrighted presentation. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time now for RadioLawTalk.com with your host, Frederick Penny, attorney at law. And now, RadioLawTalk.com. Welcome WGGH and WEZS to Radio Law Talk, the most exciting, entertaining, and sometimes factually correct radio show. <laughs> really? On sometimes. The Earth. Sometimes is yes. the key word. We are going to have a great time this hour. We're going to talk uh, this hour about the Texas case where a bartender, a young woman, probably making you know minimum wage and working for tips is arrested for a misdemeanor which is a lower form of you know criminal uh, criminal con- you know uh, prosecution not, but not, not a felony but not an infraction but uh, uh, for uh, apparently giving alcohol to so- this in- crazy individual that shot these poor people um, um, in Texas and she is being prosecuted so we're going to discuss that if you want to talk about it you can always call us on 855 law radio or tweet us at Radio Law Talk. If you want to email us, you can email us at info at Radio Law Talk, because a lot of times we're live in a number of uh, states, but many of you uh, were tape delayed on other days, and if you want to email us, uh, sorry, but we can't get back to all of you, but email us. We do read them, and we do take note. Uh, sometimes. Sometimes we don't listen if we don't want to. Um, anyway, that's what my wife does. Sometimes she doesn't listen to me when she doesn't want to. I'm making a book of all the emails that we receive, and then I review them on a on a daily basis. You know, just you know, just leisure reading. When yes. you say review them, do you mean review them as in say this emailer sent us this email, and you like like a movie review? You give them a. I, I, well, I, I'm going to start doing that. We will yeah. call them. We'll give you five postage stamps, so you can yes. just like up, up to five. This yes. is a one postage stamp email. This okay. is a, yes, yes, like that. Please, so I, I'm I'm going to critique this email. Exactly, a review. Yes, yes. yes. Please, <laughs> no more reviews saying that Denise is much smarter than Todd and I. We know that. <laughs> yes. You don't have to email us and say Look, Denise gonna, is the smarter one. If you're going to do that, just go ahead and also tell us that every day of the weekends in the letter Y. All right. So yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah. obvious we know things. That. So anyway, if you want to call in eight five five Law Radio, uh, remember we're not giving any legal advice. We're talking about general topics of the law. Seek local counsel. Uh, we talk uh, about general topics of the law that that every single state is different, Todd. You know, that there's some general principles we discuss, but you know what? You've got to check. You know, Texas is different than New Hampshire, than different than Kentucky or Nevada. I don't know. Maybe Nevada's got the Amargosa Valley. They just do what they want there. They, they could. They could. Well, they look, the Amargosa Valley in that area there, they also have to deal with uh, Alien abductions I and like stuff. the Amargosa Valley. Area 51 in that locale. And so, I mean, it's out of this world. Those of you who are new to us, new listeners, you're like, why do we keep pushing the Amargosa Valley? When we first started this show a couple years ago, the Amargosa Valley was one of our first affiliates to come on board. We love the Amargosa Valley. And we said and we argued, nobody's listening to us in the Amargosa Valley. <laughs> and we get a phone call from Bill. We're listening. So we will never forget that where Bill, the listener from Amargosa Valley, calls us and says, we're here and we're listening. Josh would like to squeeze in one more question about the Mueller report. One more question. Go ahead, Josh. I was just wondering, um, why would 
Barr be considered not with giving things if he's opened it up to the committee to go and read the full unredacted report and no one showed up to do it? Is that, I mean, that's true. So, so let me let me clarify. You're saying why would Barr not be up to providing it to Congress with all their guarantees that that they will keep things um, that they will keep things confidential, while at the same time making the offer that a select number can come and take a look at it? No, I was just saying. I was just saying that the, what he's already offered. My understanding is is that he has offered that that anyone that wants to read it that's in part of Congress can come into the room and read it, but they just can't take anything out of it and stuff like that. So if they're concerned about what they're saying, it says, well, we need to know that everything's okay, well, they can go read it. I, so, I, Josh, I'm going to say I agree with you 100%. This That's a head-scratcher. He has offered to have a select group of people come in. And, and let's remember, when the Republicans were in charge of the uh, Judiciary Committee, there were times, uh, you know, when the, when the whole idea behind whether or not there was FISA abuse going on, um, they were allowed to send a select group over to the FBI to take a look at the warrants and everything that went out. I think Trey Gowdy was one. You know, there's like three or four folks went over there. They looked at everything and then came back and told the rest of the folks on the committee, okay, we've looked at them. This appears to be okay. We know what they were doing here. We know what they were doing there. And and they went on with it. Bars made the same offer. They just haven't taking them up on it. I think, Josh, one thing is, the big issue there is, and that's a great point, a head-scratcher, but Barr does not want to step up and testify anymore. He... He's pretty smart. I think he's saying, look, I don't want to be cross-examined. I'm tired of this. And that's one issue. You know, and, and, and another thing that, that we didn't touch on last time, one of the reasons why he didn't want to come back to testify, is that on his second day of testimony before the Senate, the Senate had proposed that not the senators, they were going to have their staffers ask the questions. So right. you got a senator that's got a seasoned trial attorney sitting right. on their staff, and they wanted the staffer to ask questions, right. and Barr is sitting there going, look, I'll answer questions to the elected representatives to do this because this is supposed to be fact-finding, but you're getting the lawyer in here to ask questions, to set things up here. You're not searching for the truth. You're trying to string me up. And I think he saw that a mile mile away and that's why he come back because they could not agree on who would be asking the questions good good point josh thanks for calling in that was an excellent point thank you very much hey so that was a great great questions we yeah, love yeah, to thanks, hear about josh. The josh josh brought some good points up so uh but but anyway uh josh go to our website www.radiolawtalk.com tonight when you're having issues and you can't sleep and read our disclaimers. Read the disclaimers. Because the disclaimers are very, very... Soothing. Soothing, relaxing. and, and But just remember, uh, we're all not barred at every state. We're talking about general topics of law. I've said that too many times. Let's roll, Cal. Case or no case for our listeners. Now it's time to play Case or No Case. Yay! All right. Now, ladies and gentlemen, those odd Canadians... Or are they? What are you talking about? Exactly, eh? When a biological man ran as a woman in a Canadian election in Vancouver Falls Creek, Bill Whatcott started a campaign to expose what he called the transgender agenda. 
Leading up to the vote, he printed 1,500 flyers about the lifestyle of Morgane Ogre, complete with pictures and biblical verses. Now, it wasn't artful. It wasn't legitimately hateful. Ogre said, yes, it is. He filed a complaint with the human, said his human rights had been violated. Whatcott countered, insisting that he wrote this as an act of religious and political expression, which is protected under Canadian law. And so I ask you, Fred Penny, case or no case. What the heck did he just say? A guy from Canada. What? I, I didn't even know. I didn't even understand. A transgender. Who, I got that part. Was running for office, and another guy didn't like it. So oh, another pr- guy. So he printed up a bunch of flyers and said, ah. "Here's a picture of this guy as a man. Here's a picture of him as a woman. Here's what the it. Bible, in my interpretation, says ah, about transgenderism." And the alleged transgender candidate said, "My human rights have been violated." Easy answer. Yeah. How much time do I have? Oh, Easy yeah. answer. Less than a minute. Okay. No-brainer. You put yourself out there. You're a public figure. You're open for interpretation. You're open for criticism. His rights were not violated. Technically, I'm talking about the United States. I don't know what happens up in Canada, y'all. No. Ain't, a, oh, no wait, wait. A. Semi. Uh, semi. I know my cousins live. I have a cousin that lives in Canada. He calls it, I drove down the semi. But he says it different. I'm about, I'm about to drive I'm a, down in the semi. I'm about to drive down my semi? Yeah, it's like, what's semi? What's semi-sweet <laughs> chocolate? No, my semi. <laughs> big, oh, my big truck? Oh, okay. All right, we'll be back. We'll hear what, what uh, our illustrious uh, man to the, my left, Todd, has to say about it. Thanks for joining us. The answer to the great case or no case and more radio law talk is coming right up. Don't go away. All advertising for legal services on Radio Law Talk is strictly for the state or states in which the advertiser is licensed. For more information, go to radiolawtalk.com. Jason Ross back here with Fred Penny, managing attorney from Penny & Associates Injury Lawyers. Now, Fred, what type of cases are you dealing with now, and what sets you apart? Jason, we help people with all types of personal injury cases. We're former insurance company trial lawyers. We understand the other side, which gives us a distinct advantage over our competition. Remember, we don't get paid unless we win. That's Penny & Associates Injury Lawyers with locations throughout California. For a free consultation, go to pennylawyers.com or give them a call 1-800-616-4LAW. That's P-E-N-N-E-Y lawyers.com. This is Denise Dirks. We can represent clients in divorce, legal separation, child and spousal support, custody, termination of parental rights, step-parent adoptions, guardianships, and even conservatorship matters. Call 1-877-886-7186 for a consultation. The law offices of Denise L. Dirks provide family law services in Northern California. When the law affects your family, call 877-886-7186. The family of attorneys at Denise L. Dirks is here to help. Hi, I'm Frederick Penny of Penny & Associates Injury Lawyers. I bet you're tired of hearing lawyer commercials. So just relax and listen to music for a few seconds. When you or a family member has been injured, call 800-616-4LAW or see us at pennyandassociates.com. See, that wasn't so bad. 
I am Cameron Levitt, Chief Operating Officer of Concussion Medical Clinic. California's first concussion medical clinic is now open. As concussions increase each year, there has never been a greater need for concussion specialists. Our physicians at Concussion Medical Clinic are board certified in pediatric neurology and sports medicine and have partnered with universities, hospitals, and rehab clinics to expedite the recovery process. Simply put, we are elevating the standard of care. When you need an expert concussion opinion or concussion, You're listening to Radiolawtalk.com. And now back to your host, Frederick Penny. Yeah, you know, I'm getting old. Every time I put my uh, headset back on, uh, i got to clear my ears because I can't hear very well. I'm getting so old, I don't know what to do. We're, we're talking about case or no case, and it was Todd's turn. Just give us a very brief, quick overview again, Cal. A biological man ran as a woman for a local office in Vancouver, Falch Creek, Canada. Bill Whatcott did not like it. So he started a campaign to what he called expose the transgender agenda. He printed up a bunch of flyers about the lifestyle. Uh, it wasn't artful, but it wasn't hateful either. But Ogar disagreed and filed a complaint. He said his human rights had been violated. And Whatcott, the guy who did the flyer, countered and said, this is an act of religious and political expression, and I have the right to do that even in the People's Republic of Canada, eh? And that's our setup for case or no case. So the question to Fred was, is it a case? And Fred said, uh, what? Oh, I said, yes, it is a case. And uh, he loses due to the fact that he's a public figure now. And by the way, if you want to call in, we always tell you that. A lot of people don't want to call in and be on the radio. You can still call Cal and tell him your vote. Tell us what you want at 855-LAW-RADIO or tweet us at Radio Law Talk. What do you say, buddy? Well, this is this is how I'm going to tackle this one. You know, Anytime you have a representative form of government where uh, we elect representatives to pass laws that, uh, you know, based upon our interests and the person that wins is going to represent the popular vote. And folks have a right to know if there's an agenda at play. You know, you might agree with it, you might not agree with it. They have a right to know. And so um, if this individual is putting out information about a person who wants to represent your interests in uh, politically. Folks got a right to know. He's got a right to go ahead and put that out there. You know, you have the freedom of speech. You don't have the right to force everybody to agree with you. So I think that the uh, the transgender individual put themselves out there, um, made themselves subject to that. I don't think anything's going to be discriminatory. There's going to be no discrimination claims, assuming that the Canadian laws are similar to, to United States laws. And um, I think that the attacks or, or whatever the information was published was legitimate. So I think that the political candidate loses. I guess it's a long way of saying, I agree with Fred. So you're Ooh. saying it's a case. It's a case, and, and I agree with and Fred. the candidate loses. Fred says it's a case, and the candidate loses. Yeah. Yes. All right. Which well, scares so me probably because... They can probably lose which, which scares me because that is too obvious, and yes. the only reason Cal's really going to bring this up is so that we go, oh my gosh, I can't believe that was the outcome. Yeah. So You're those right. of you who say it was a case, oh, may I see no. by the show of hands, one point for each. Oh, did right. it. Very good. Case. All wow. right. Now, for those of you who say the candidate prevailed, likewise, a show of hands, if I may. The candidate prevailed, neither of you. So those of you who say the plaintiff 
prevailed. That would be the. I mean, let's see. The ca- the candidate was the, the was person who said they were offended. Right. So who say well, the well, other guy prevailed? Hold on a second. Just want to clarify. Just want to clarify. Not the point of. Uh, uh, let's let's use the transgender person versus the. Yeah, so those so of you I, say I'm the, saying the transgender person lost. Me too. The okay. candidate. I'm going to call the, the can, candidate. The candidate lost. The person who published the information about the wins. Uh, wins. Yeah, yes. yeah. So those of you who say that the candidate lost, that would be Fred and Todd and... Oh, what? my gosh. Whoa. I know. In Canada, there is a human rights tribunal. And even speech cannot be guaranteed in Canada if they determine in their little... Tribunal. ...proceeding... That somehow it's hateful. The three-person tribunal ultimately sided with Ogre, the transgender candidate, ordering Mr. Whatcott to pay 35000 Canadian wow. dollars in compensation, plus a fine of $20,000 for what they called improper conduct during the hearings. Obviously, he was outraged at the proceedings. Wow. So it may be appealed to the Canadian Supreme Court. Maybe. We'll see. That hasn't happened yet. But nonetheless, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. Wow. From the land of the great white north. Case or no case. You know, it's it's interesting that, that this one comes up and that it was uh, that they decided on the basis of believing it was some sort of hate speech. Right. Right. I, I think that it's very important for people to remember that. When you have a law that comes down, you have to look at either how the words in the law were defined at the time the law came out, or how the decision, if it's a, a court decision, chose to define a certain topic. I'll, I'll give you an example, the, the Second Amendment. You know, we there was a case that the opinion was written by Scalia where he actually went back and studied what the grammar was and how it was used at the time the Constitution was framed, and that played a large part in how they achieved that opinion. Okay, so in this one here, we hear a lot of stuff about hate speech, right? And and the hate speech law, the, the decisions that came out that said hate speech is not protected speech under the First Amendment also included in those opinions a definition of what hate speech is. And the definition essentially is hate speech is something that actually in the speech itself, in the terms itself, includes a call to action to do something harmful. So if I say, you know, I don't like a person, I, I don't like a person because of the color of their skin, that's not hate speech. If I say everybody with that color of skin should be uh, taken out and beaten, and right, you know, right. that so, is hate speech because I'm calling to action something out of there. And I see in today's day and age, that just gets used so much. They hear somebody says, well, you know, I, I don't support transgenderism. And one pundit says, I don't believe gender is malleable. Right. Okay. Well, the folks say, well, that's hate speech because you don't like it. No, it's just my opinion. Right. It's just I haven't said they should right. all be taken out and, and it, harmed. It, it would seem so. to the cynic, and I'm somewhat cynical, that this is you? an effort simply to remove people's rights from them for some agenda that we can't all figure out. But yeah, that, that I think in the United States it may have been a little bit different. I believe um, so. I think that would have gone to the Supreme Court to determine whether or not... Uh, I, you know, I think it sounded like it was on the edge. 
In other words, on the edge. Well, uh, the, hate the, the flyers but, were not particularly hateful. He just right. said that transgender. The Bible says this. This guy's a transgender. You know, gotcha. you're electing someone who's evil yeah, inherently. Nah, blah, blah, blah. You got it. So, you got so I think that's why Fred and I chose the way we did because we're we practice in America. Yes, but I think <laughs> I like I like the freedom of speech without hate. You got to be careful of the yeah, hate speech. Yeah, but yeah. Man alive, we got to protect freedom of speech of people's opinions. Remember, everybody out there, I always say this. Let's agree to disagree and move on. Agreeably. Again, let's, ag- let's yeah. agree to disagree and move on. Yeah. That's okay to disagree. I tell that to people all the time. We'll be right back. We're going to talk about this Texas bartender charged with serving uh, alcohol to uh, individual and went wacko. Yeah. All advertising for legal services on Radio Law Talk is strictly for the state or states in which the advertiser is licensed. For more information, go to radiolawtalk.com. If you're one of those independent people who wants your own business and you love food service, we just might have a great opportunity for you. Iceberg Drive-Ins. Iceberg is famous for its thick shakes and delicious food. We lend you our supply chain and expertise, and you can potentially have a thriving, successful, fun business that your customers will love. Iceberg Drive-Ins has some prime areas available right now, so if you're interested, get in touch with us right away. Go to icebergdrivein.com and click on the Contact Us button. Iceberg Drive-In. Ready to grow with you. I've got to get my car washed, this dirt, it just won't do. But I don't have no time today, I don't know what I do. Man, I know this place right down the road. Quick, quack, car wash. Uh-huh. Hop inside, let's take a ride and watch this cat and shine. Just come and see, I guarantee your ride will steal the show. Come on, quick, quack, car wash. Don't drive that dirty car. Uh-huh. Quick, quack, car wash. They'll have you looking sharp. Come on. Not all law firms have extensive experience in all areas of the law. It's wise to look for firms that have knowledge and understanding in your particular area of concern. So go to ProLawFirms.com. They have listings of attorneys in key areas of practice, such as family law, estate planning, personal injury, bankruptcy, and so forth. When you're looking for a lawyer that has extensive experience in your particular area of need, go to ProLawFirms.com. That's ProLawFirms.com. ProLawFirms.com is not a law firm and does not endorse or recommend any specific law firm. The cost of getting rid of garbage is high, and recycling products is lucrative. If you're a business or know of a business that needs an individual compactor or baler, call Northwest Compacting at 888-201-0911. If you already have an industrial compactor, baler, or shredder and need service, don't forget to call Northwest Compacting at 888-201-0911. Northwest Compacting, your full-service industrial compacting and baling company. Read more about them at Northwest Compacting. Time to get back to Radio Law Talk on RadioLawTalk.com and on your favorite radio station. We are back here on Radio Law Talk. And where are we? We're, oh, we're going to talk about the bartender. Yes. So we, we have our wonderful affiliate, KBDT, in Dallas, Texas. They are a, what is it, talk? What is it, Cal? Big, Big talk. Dallas Talk, BDT, K-Big Dallas Talk, 35,000 watts of AM flames being thrown out into the air over the Dallas Metroplex. That is a big, big station that carries us. Thank you for carrying us. But this is what's going on in Texas. There, And, and Todd and I were talking about this during the break. You know, we in no way, just so you know, are ever in any way trying to downplay what happened in this tragic incident where this crazy guy... 
uh, goes and kills eight. Is uh, it eight? Eight, eight people at a football watch party in right. 2017, I believe, in Plano, Texas. Yeah, he just, and he goes crazy. So before that, let's set up what happens. Okay, first of all, in Texas, there's a law, and I tweeted it out to be, generally speaking, is a bartender's got to be very careful or anyone serving alcohol if they serve it to someone that's basically known to be drunk or is is basically well, I, I could I could read it, but they have they have knowledge that the person is is impaired. They, they and, call it a habitual drunkard or an intoxicated right, right. or insane person. And for those of you that are nerds that like to really look up the law, that is the Texas Alcohol Beverage Contro- uh, Code Section 101.63. Sale to certain persons. Yes, and, and isn't there a legal definition for drunk? Well, hold Hold on. I mean, and there must be. Yeah, Cal. So it says, quote, at the time of the provision, this is, I'm quoting section 2.02, at the time of the provision occurred, it was, quote, apparent to the provider that the individual being sued, served, or provided with alcohol beverages was, quote, still quoting, obviously intoxicated, and I, and I underline obviously, uh, to the extent that he presented a underline clear danger i'm underlying by the way a clear danger to himself or others so that's the general rule that these bartenders slash alcohol people who are serving alcohol in texas have to abide by now let's set that up don't forget this gal that was arrested for this incident who served this wacko um uh, uh, some alcohol probably is making minimum wage working for tips you know, and Todd, you brought out a very important point as a former prosecutor in Tennessee and California, and now as a defense lawyer. How cross-examine our police officers when they say someone's drunk? They have to be just nails on doing everything proper. A- absolutely. I mean, look. So I prosecuted DUIs and I have defended DUIs and and the issue here in or DWIs a, in, or in some states in some states driving while intoxicated due to alcohol. Um, the issue here is what are the officers' qualifications to determine whether somebody is intoxicated? You know they've got they, they do their field sobriety test training in in uh, the academy. They have to maintain that certification. They've got to be certified on the devices that they use: the breathalyzer, the preliminary alcohol screen device. I mean, there's a whole host, and if you're a defense attorney, you're attacking the qualifications of a person who does this for a living, determines the intoxicated nature of individuals, and is specially trained to do that. Okay, how are we supposed to say that a bartender working for tips, I mean, if an officer can have their qualifications challenged based upon everything, how are we supposed to say that the bartender, and I guarantee you they don't have, if they have any training at all in in observing or identifying intoxicated, the point that you're so impaired that you can't make rational decisions, how is this person going to be trained or prove they have any training comparable to a police officer? Now, now, here's the, here's the argument. Now, on their side, on the prosecutor's side, this is from this individual that they've arrested. It's a young gal, Lindsay Glass. She's 27 years old, and it's called Local Public House in Plano, Texas. That's what it's called. Um, and she tweeted out after this individual, and his name's Spencer, apparently. After he came in, she said, quote, Spencer has a big knife on the bar 
and is spinning it and just asked for his tab and said, I have to go do some dirty work. She had dot, dot, dot. She calls him psycho. Okay. Uh, the first thing is, everyone's like, well, that this is a pretty clear case. Well, uh, some people can argue. Some will, Look, yes. he was so drunk, he was stumbling outside. She still served him alcohol. My argument is not not specifically on this case. I, I, when you're done, I'm going to put my hat on as the defense attorney how I would attack that. Okay, good. Okay. I want you. But, go, but what go. I'm trying to say go. is, where does that slippery slope end? What I'm trying to say is, where's the line? If he wasn't tripping and and uh, out uh, in the in the patio area, if he didn't have the night and spun that, and still went and did what he did, is she liable? You know, where does it end or where does it stop? And if she says he was psycho, she didn't say he was drunk. Yeah. yeah. Now I, that to me is a pretty interesting thing. She didn't say the guy was so drunk that he was, st- and he's psycho. She said he was psycho. Now there were texts that she sent earlier in the day that referenced that she was aware of his drinking pattern. Uh, I believe those texts said he said he had two gins and he only had two beers and a shot when he came back. I think he was at another bar. So, and that was referenced to earlier in the day he had two gins and he only had two beers and a shot when he came back. So he had two gins, left, then came back and had some additional. So what? 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 And, and that's the issue right there. Again, call us at eight five five Law Radio if you want to uh, uh, talk about this, but. That's the issue I bring up. So now here she is trying to analyze the situation. She's probably got a bunch of customers around that she's trying to serve. I don't go to bars, but I do go to restaurants, and I, I sit at the bar. Those bartenders are flying. Yep. They, they don't have time to sit there. Can they quickly look and try to analyze Generally, yes, anybody can. But the fact is, they got this this order, and then that person, and they're running with their heads cut off. And here she's trying to figure out and analyze this this situation that puts a lot of onus on a bartender at 27, make a minimum wage, and working hard for tips. Okay, seven dollars twenty-five cents in Texas, by the way. Okay, so let me put on my defense attorney hat. The first thing that a defense attorney does is they look. Uh, Philosophically, I never like to refer to things as bad facts for me. That puts me in a bad frame of mind. We have good facts, and then we have facts beyond change, things I can't do anything about. I never refer to something as bad facts because that just it puts me in the wrong frame of mind in terms of defending a case. So one of the facts beyond change that we have here is the fact that first she seemed to know the guy because she referred to him as Spencer. Okay, and she was aware enough about him to know what his drinking pattern was earlier in the day, because that that might have gotten that from the uh, from the bar tip or the the bill that she gave him. But here are the things that I'm going to do as a defense attorney. Let's well, take by the way, but we say this, you don't practice in Texas. I, I don't practice in so Texas. So we don't know all the details. That's we're just right. talking in general. Just so you know, we're talking so, in general. So the first thing that I do is I, I'm going to try to attack the uh, the big, what appears to be the smoking gun, this reference to the knife on the bar and all of that. If that knife was not out while he was drinking and she only observed the knife as the seems to indicate at the time that he asked for his bill. I'm going to seek a motion that none of that evidence should come in as irrelevant because that has nothing to do with my observations of intoxication. And even if I had observed that he was intoxicated, the fact that I didn't see the knife or she didn't see the knife until the bill came, I, why would I have known to stop giving him alcohol? I didn't see the knife until the bill came. That was at the end. That was at the end. Because at the end, it's, it's the 
the prejudicial impact substantially outweighs any probative value, anything it might have to do to whether or not I'm culpable. So I'm going to seek to try to get that up. May win, may not. But the other thing that I'm going to look at here is this drinking pattern. He had two gins, those two drinks, and he had two beers and a shot when he came back. So we got five drinks total. Two gins, two beers, and a shot. Now, on average... If they're doing normal drinks, each drink will raise his blood alcohol level about a point zero two. All right. Now, if we are talking about a drinking pattern, because he was here earlier in the day, left, came back, and we don't know if she surmises that he might have gotten alcohol somewhere else, but doesn't know. We're talking, if, if, if this was over a four or five hour period, and he's burning alcohol, metabolizing it at about point oh two per hour, you know, Five drinks over five hours, your blood alcohol level is not going to get above a .01. Well, and does it matter, Todd? You know this more than I do. His size. He's a bit. What if he's a big dude? He, he metabolizes it quicker than some somebody who's 115 pounds, five foot two. So the question here is, does this drinking pattern even mean that a person would be so intoxicated they couldn't drive? And the last thing, coming up on the break, is. If I was to tell you that somebody leaves the bar drunk, what kind of harm, nine times out of ten, would you think they would commit? Probably a driving offense or somebody got hurt, not going to a party and killing people with a machete. Yeah, and, and the guy is crazy. So, yes. I mean, now she has to figure out craziness. Not just alcohol issues. Do I got to figure out crazy? And tell the difference. Yeah, and yes. tell the difference. And, and she's making minimum wage. and do, So, I, you know, we're going to talk more about this. Call us at 855-LAW-RADIO if you want to discuss the issues here with this bartender. We'll be right back. Thanks for turning on Radio Law Talk on RadioLawTalk.com and on your favorite radio station. All advertising for legal services on Radio Law Talk is strictly for the state or states in which the advertiser is licensed. For more information, go to radiolawtalk.com. Oh, come on. Go to the website, radiolawtalk.com. You can listen to the show there, and there's a lot of other good information, too. That's radiolawtalk.com. Radio Law Talk. Yeah, we're back talking about this uh, crazy guy, uh, Spencer Height. By the way, uh, just uh, like I say, Radio Law Talk, uh, the facts sometimes are true, but he actually was using a gun, and you mentioned machete. Well, well and, and, a gun. and arguably that, from a defense standpoint, that cuts in her favor. Right. No pun intended. Uh, it, it, it's in her favor because she, in her text, it says he asked for the he asked for the check while having a big knife on the bar spinning it. Well, the knife wasn't even the instrumentality right. used to commit the murders. Right. So that would be further evidence as to why that statement should be suppressed because that had it, it's got nothing or, or not used because it's not relevant to whether or not she knew he was intoxicated. All right, I want to I, I want to read this really quickly here. So the code that Fred read says a person commits an offense if the person with criminal negligence sells an alcoholic beverage to a habitual drunkard, intoxicated, or a sane person. Criminal negligence is defined as a person who acts recklessly or is reckless with respect to circumstances surrounding the conduct or the result of his conduct when he is aware of but consciously disregards a substantial and unjustifiable risk that the circumstances exist that the result will occur. 
All right. I mean, it's a long way of saying that you're criminally negligent if you do this, and it's highly likely that the result that happened was going to occur. And that's why when we went to the break, I asked the question about if you were to ask about the risk that occurs, people would most likely say, you let a guy leave, he had a .33 blood alcohol level, most likely it's going to be a vehicle accident where somebody dies. It's not a shooting. Is there a legal standard for highly likely? Well, see, here, that's, that's is, why Is that I a dumb question? I, 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 this is probably a silly question for me to ask. But I'm thinking in court, wouldn't you say, well, Your Honor, what does is, what is highly likely mean? The answer is probably yes. There's probably some case law on it, but I don't know what it is. or or it, and, and it's going to be whatever it is in Texas, what sure, that is. Sure, sure. But, but yeah, the, but I put three, the three most important uh, words are apparent, obviously, and clear danger. Those Absolutely. Are the three. Those are the three. But to me... You know, to, to reach that level, to me, he's got to be really high. You've really got to know what's so dead obvious. Well, and, and, and here's a an anecdotal thing from my career as a prosecutor. I had a case once where I was prosecuting somebody for a DUI, and, um, and we had the surveillance video of when they were booked into the police station, okay? And so I'm watching the video. It shows the person. They come in. The intake officer is asking them questions and stuff. We don't have the audio, but clearly it's you know, give me name, age, height, you know, all that kind of stuff. They take the stuff out of their pockets, and then they take the person. They took this person over and they put them on this machine, a platform, and the platform physically moves about three feet to the left and three feet to the right. It's a scanner to make sure that they're not trying to conceal anything in a body cavity or anything like that, right? And it comes back, and this thing moved left to right. The person didn't grab the rail, sat there, and, and I'm watching this as a DA going, well, that person certainly doesn't look intoxicated. They then left, went and sat down. Phlebotomist comes in, takes the blood out of the arm. We tested the blood that would that was taken right after the thing moved. 0.41. That is hammer. level. 0.41. Now, comatose is 0. 0.5. 0. 0.4 to 5. Death is just a little bit of 5. 0. 0.41. My point is, you don't. You know why DUIs 0.08 or higher? Because before they gave an actual limit, you'd have people coming in as a defense saying. Ah, uh, you know what? I can handle my alcohol. I can handle my liquor. And they didn't want these prosecutions to end up being, well, I got to prove that you're a lightweight drunk or you're a you know heavyweight drunk, and that you're only drunk if you're a point two. They finally said, you know what? Forget all that. We're just going to say if you're point zero eight or higher, you're legally drunk for purposes of driving, because. If you don't have that, you don't know how people react. And if this guy's a habitual drunk, as the code says, then they can operate and appear to function normally with a higher than normal blood alcohol level. We have an affiliate in Utah. I want to mention in Utah it's 0.5, and that may end up being a revised national standard. And basically, Todd, I think what they're really trying to say is we have a zero tolerance, but we know people are going to have a little bit of something to drink. But it, but, but, but look... Don't drink and drive, and they're keeping lower and, and try to get turn it into a zero tolerance environment. That's what it appears to me. It, you're right. Well, what's interesting? So let's talk about this Lindsay Glass. The, this law in Texas, the fine is up to five hundred dollars and up to a year in jail or both. So that it's not a huge, you know, penalty. But but you know, again, she's not going to want that on her record. Here's the other thing that's interesting. The other thing that's interesting is. 
a lot of this is coming up because what happened is, and again, I'm a plaintiff's lawyer and I'm all for this, uh, but uh, the victim's families have filed lawsuit against the bar for negligently overseeing, uh, over-serving height. And now the issue is going to be now, this is my question, the how do you connect the dots? I'm saying that without in legal terms. How do you connect the dots? How is it foreseeable that this bar and its employee would have foreseen that he would have gone out and shot these people and killed eight individuals maliciously from serving them too much alcohol? Is that foreseeable? That's the question. I, I think it goes back to I think that I think that if somebody leaves the bar, it's it's foreseeable that they can get into an accident and kill somebody in the car. Right. I, I think that that is typically the scenario. Somebody leaves the bar, they get behind the wheel of a car, you know, especially if you see them leaving the bar and they're drunk and they got the keys or they left the keys, whatever. That is far more likely than somebody going and shooting up uh, a house. Now, next question that I have, and of course, insurance is a question here. A lot of places have errors and omissions insurance. They have general liability. Can you insure a bar against over-serving? So it depends. That's what I'm going to ask. So there are a lot of, again, I don't know all the states. You, you seek local counsel in Texas to answer this question. But in general, there are some states and some that follow a, a general rule that says, you know, we're not, as an insurance company, going to cover you for any, quote, criminal acts of your employees or of you individually. So if they deem that she committed a quote, criminal act, they can argue you're not covered for your insurance because she served alcohol in, uh, uh, quote, illegally, according to this code section. So, But I don't know. I don't know. Every policy is different. They'd have to check their policy, but you better double-check your policy and see sure. that. You know what's baffling to me on a criminal standpoint with this is that misdemeanors in, in both jurisdictions that I had practiced in, in Tennessee and California, and, and I thought this is pretty much uniform. The statute of limitations on a misdemeanor is typically one year. One year from the date of the offense, that's how long the people have to file this. Now, this incident happened back in 2017. She was just arrested a couple of weeks ago. So I don't know how Texas is getting around the one-year statute of limitations, if indeed that applies to a misdemeanor, to place an, to file a case and place an arrest on somebody for an incident that happened almost two years ago. It happened in September of 17, so we're talking, what, uh, somewhere along the lines of uh, 19, 20 months? Yeah. So I don't know how they get around that statute of limitations Maybe they have a two-year there. statute. We could don't be, know. could we be. We don't know. But that's, this is all interesting stuff about this. We're going to follow this case closely, but, but it, I just think it's just very interesting how – how this puts an onus on these young, most of them are young women and men who are serving and just trying to make a living. I'm not again, what a what a tragic situation, and not not in any way downplaying the death of these wonderful people. But to pin it on the bartender secondarily, to me, just smacks of a little overreach. That's just my own opinion. I'm no, no lawyer, and you know that. I'm just yeah. thinking from a person sitting on the outside. Right? Doesn't that seem like overreach? Well, I think one other consideration we have here is, um, as I looked at this law, the problem I had was that I understand what they're trying to do. I think that the law has a lot of problems in terms of how you actually enforce it and what you can actually prove. And what I see with this case here, I don't know how many they've prosecuted, but if this one doesn't turn out well for the prosecution, this could very well be the way for the prosecutors to say, see, this kind of a law doesn't work. Let's go back in and fix it so we can actually have something that's enforceable that protects the 
the harm we're trying to protect against because this one isn't doing it. But you got to have one case to run through to see how it works, and this one certainly garnered a lot of attention. Yeah, and I think this one, uh, no doubt, if she is convicted, it'll go to the Supreme Court, I would think. And probably she might plead, to be honest with you, and the prosecution might not want to run this through the courts due to the fact they want to make sure that this is going to going to continue to be a law also civilly it might go to court too yep. so we're going to be back uh, with hour number three thanks for joining us it's just todd and i and cal the three musketeers we'll be right back hour number three of radio law talk is coming up right here so don't go away You have been listening to RadioLawTalk.com, a copyrighted presentation of Radio Law Talk Incorporated.